Hey, Brian, are you going to record this? Yes. Good. Ready. Up next on Inside the SCCA, Racers Roundtable. Welcome to Inside the SCCA. I'm Brian Belansky. We are getting together tonight for something a little different. Um, I uh, I like to think that I am not the sole arbiter of what is interesting in this world we love um, called the SCCA. So every once in a while, I like to bring on someone and have no idea what we're going to talk about. So um, this is what this is. I've got uh, three folks with us. I have... Uh, Gabe Farabach from Indiana, and Paul Jensen from Colorado. Trevor, where are you out of? I am currently out of Palmer, Massachusetts. Palmer, Massachusetts. Trevor Hermans out of Palmer, Massachusetts. Welcome to the show, guys. How are you? Good evening. Absolutely amazing. All right. So I I am going to start the show, though, like I do every time. And uh, I don't know if you all have listened to the show, but I try to start the show with the exact same question every time. Uh, we're going to go around the room for this one, and uh, it's a simple question, and I'm going to randomly pick uh, pick uh, Paul, because I think, like you, like me, Paul, you are the elder statesman in the room. Um, oh. h- how did you get... Here, show? Yeah, I got, a, I got a little of that in the, in, in the scruffy left parts. There. So, um, how did you get started in this, uh, in this sport that we love? Oh, well, I grew up in Indianapolis, Indiana the home of racing in the United States, I would think. Um, And, uh, you know, in Indiana, I didn't really grow up around sports car racing. I grew up around uh, circle track racing, going to the Speedrome and the Indy 500 and and, uh, uh, Anderson Speedway. A lot of great, uh, great action up there at the High Banks and Anderson, uh, midget racing mostly and had some buddies that did midget racing sure and uh helped them out a little bit from time to time but uh never really got into it myself and uh long story short ended up out in colorado uh and uh working at a car dealership my brother owned an actor dealership in colorado springs Hmm. and one weekend about uh 24 years ago uh two of our uh employees uh a service writer and a lot and a a mechanic uh took two acura integras caged them and and, uh, decided to go get their scca road racing license and where they came back where was that at they went to their first driver's school in deming in new mexico oh wow yes right down the the new uh new mexico mexico border okay and uh used to run regional races down there and they came back from that first regional race weekend and driver's school and they had permagrins on their faces and uh i said so it was really that much fun and they said oh just went on and on (laughs) about it i said well i need some of that in my life yeah i said well what do i have to do to get get involved in this they said well you need a sports car so I said, okay, any kind of sports car? Yeah, any kind of sports car. You can drive. They have everything. I said, okay. So I went out that afternoon, um, found a an old, ugly Mazda Miata. It was white, 1990. Uh, had a short nose crank. 
and it had purple mirrors, purple windshield wipers, purple brake calipers, and I bought it from this mechanic at the Mazda dealership down the street. There you go. Two weeks later, I had it caged and was on track. Wow. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Got my license later that year, and I've been racing ever since. Cool. All right, Gabe. Same question. You're up. How how did you get messed up with this sport? Well, I have always been interested in cars. I've loved the idea of going fast and just pushing my body and the mind to the absolute limit, as well as machine. And uh, couldn't afford it when I was younger, unfortunately. Um, but as I got older, I got a good job. My dad got a better paying job. And one day we were like, what do we want to do? And I said, we want to race. So when I went to uh, Bondurant uh, Racing School, which is now Radford, I believe. Um, and then I have, uh, took my advanced school uh, at Bertel Ruse. And then uh, in the process of figuring out, I always want to do open wheel cars. Right. And because I was a big fan of, of Indianapolis, the Indy 500. Uh, I grew up, I grew up in Indiana. I'm from Indiana. I live in Indiana. So again, like Paul central hub of racing. So racing is everywhere. So like, I want to do it. Uh, so I was kind of on the fence about formula continental because I'd heard of formula continental before, but then we found Alliance Autosport. Obviously they run the FE twos and talked to the late Scott Reddick. And uh, he convinced me to get into an FE two and I've never looked back since. There you go. The rest is history. Yes, sir. All right, Trevor, you know the question. Bring it. Okay. Well, <clears throat> my childhood was spent uh, each summer, Memorial Day weekend, and then eventually Labor Day weekend, and then eventually this random middle weekend in October, and then eventually a weekend in uh, July uh, at this awesome campground that each morning uh, we would get up a little bit later on. Uh, you'd have these really fast cars zooming around just in front of your tent or your pop-up trailer. And uh, this was the infield camping that is Lime Rock Park. Um, the pro race weekends there uh, were a family tradition growing up. And uh, technically, I joined the club at 16. My dad bought me membership for my 16th birthday, and I've kept it up ever since. Um, as I got into the sport from a sporting aspect rather than just, oh, well, I'm going to ride my bike around all day, but it's really cool to see these things zooming around at the same time. Um, realized that uh, corner working was a great uh, way to really sink into the depths of <laughs> of racing, become a part of it. And um, uh, that's been my primary uh, method of in, uh, involvement with the club through these 17 years. But um, as Paul put it, you got to have a sports car if you want to drive. And uh, so I got such a fine example as a 2000 Hyundai Elantra oh, wagon, yeah. um, kind of like the sedan you see zooming around in my background, uh, to do some rally crossing with at one point. Uh, did a season of that, had a blast. Um, uh, road rally and rally cross are, are fine examples of anything can be a sports car if you try hard enough. Um, and uh, have have done a little bit of everything in the club since, except for get that club racing license and do some regionals or, or enduro racing with uh, the SCCA. Um, Got to get that off the list soon. But uh, uh, yeah, I, I've just come at the club and into it and called it my family uh, through my adult life now and uh, happy to join you all tonight. Cool. Now, when did you start flagging uh, you said 17 years ago, right? Yep. So I 
sort of was a hanger on for a divisional flagging and fire school before I was even 16, which with minor laws, especially in Connecticut, it's it's right. iffy. But um, I, I went to a couple of those and uh, around 2007, right around my senior year of high school is when I finally was able to get trackside and uh, okay. and and learn the trade. Well, and the reason I ask is I, I was flag chief for New York region for yep. um for three, four years. And I, I and, remember and I don't think we crossed paths that much. <laughs> So I think it was right at the Not end of much, my tenure. But um, no, but happy to <laughs> happy that we still do this, yes. you know, uh, through Zoom, cross country, whatever. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, all right. So uh, there's just a couple of ground rules here. Okay. Um, I have always said from the start of, of starting the podcast that um, we would, um, we would, I keep this, well, I have a really great relationship with SCCA National, um, as I'm sure people know, because I get a lot of guests from National on here. Um, I, I, I keep the, the podcast independent of the club because sometimes we have some difficult things to talk about. Uh, we are not a perfect club. Uh, we don't always do things the right way. Um, and, and I don't have a problem talking about things that are necess- not necessarily positives because um, I think it's important to talk about or maybe come up, try to come up with some solutions. Um, I will say, though, that my only ground rule is that we keep things respectful. And um, it's a solutions-oriented discussion if we do talk about something that needs a solution. Because I have no idea what we're going to talk about. Uh, Gabe and, and Paul and Trevor have not told me their topics. That was the goal of this podcast. So I have no idea where we're going to. This might be all, you know, roses and, and grape juice. And that would be great. Uh, but if it's not, that's cool, too. So, all right, let's open the discussion. Um, I think we're going to go right in the same order that we just w- ran the run around here. So, um paul you are up um what is our first topic for the evening let's talk about uh the uh the great big elephant in the room this last week after the uh the uh super tour event at vir okay you were there i well in the announced booth i i was broadcasting from california um this was not one (laughs) of my races to be at the racetrack we Greg and I split them up, but yes, I was, I was there in absentia for the whole okay. weekend. All right. So how, how much, uh, how much video feed did you have at your location? I get it all. You got it all. I get okay. everything Greg gets. How much, how many cameras did they have? I didn't, I didn't see any of it online. Um, well, it was a wet weekend. So most yeah. of the time we had 12 cameras, um, uh-huh. every once in a while we'd go down a camera or two, but yeah, essentially it was, we, we do 12 cameras at every race. Were you able to see much through the spray? Uh, depends. Yeah. <laughs> depends on whether the camera was looking at the spray or was behind the spray. <laughs> yeah. So, so tell me your thoughts as to what transpired in the Spec Miata race. I've I've read several different people's accounts. Was it as bad as people are making it out to be? Uh, was it just a perfect storm of of wet track, too many cars? Well, I, you know, too, too much wet grass on the runoff areas. Yeah, I mean, the, the spec Miata race in particular was, yes, all of the above. I mean, <laughs> it, it was, um, and we're obviously talking about Saturday and not Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Sunday was dry, although I do think that there was more nuttiness almost on Sunday than there was on Saturday um, because of the fact that it was dry and, and racers being racers want to get at, get after it. Um you know, obviously, I, I don't ever believe there's too many cars. 
Um, so there's a whole there were a whole lot of cars, and obviously the more cars that you have on the racetrack, so that 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 tends to make for less open real estate to to deal with. Um, and when you have all of those cars during a um, during a a wet session, um, spray is probably your number one enemy uh, visibility. Um, and, and then obviously you have, you know, the, the good part about VIR is there aren't gravel traps to get stuck in. And the bad part about VIR is there aren't gravel tracks, traps to get stuck in, which means you've got a lot of wet areas. And, you know, if you listened at all to the broadcast over the weekend, I suggested all weekend long that, uh, the, the most important job you could do all weekend long was to keep your car between the white lines because, you know, there was a good chance that if you didn't, you were going to hit something. And if you didn't hit something, you might not be able to get back to the racetrack. Um, if you can't get back to the racetrack, um, you have to stop the race, basically slow it down to go send out people to grab you. Uh, and if you hit something, well, we know what happens when people hit something. So um, um, it was not ideal. And... But the key is that I think people have to mind their skill level as a driver and mind the um, capabilities of your particular vehicle that you're racing in, depending on what class it is. And it's it's the driver's job to keep the car between the lines. That's my that's my thoughts on that. Did you get a chance yep. to watch? I, I did not get a chance to watch. I've just read a lot of the comments. Um, I was a spec me out racer for years, uh, transitioned, uh, about 12 years ago into, uh, production and run a, uh, F production Miata now. Um, so, you know, I've been in some big, I've been in Miata fields as, as many as 86 cars back in the day. So, uh, so I know what it's like to be on a, be on a track with a lot of cars like that. Right. Um, that being said, you know, VIR has some 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 peculiarities about it. You know, the fact that all of the runoff area is sloped down to those those uh, firewalls, and when you go off, it, they're like a magnet, and they just suck you in. Yeah. So I'm sure they tore up a lot of equipment. Yeah, there was. Um, surprisingly, I think maybe surprisingly in my mind, they didn't tear up as much as I expected them to. Um you know, Miata's in particular, as I'm sure you know, they they bounce off of things. They and, take, a t take a licking, yeah. yeah. And they'll bend a little here and bend a little there. And sometimes you can pull out um, the Polish torque wrench and um, bend it back into bend it back into shape enough to get get back out there. So, um, but uh, yeah, there were some there were some pretty big shunts. Uh, there was a Lotus Elise who went off um, in the, the touring race on Sunday on Saturday. That I would have put, I would have put a week of pay on that car not being back on the racetrack on Sunday. But they put it back together, and uh, it was a different color car on Sunday. Um, mm. But uh, they put it back out there, and um, I think it probably still had some residual things that that needed to be, you know, I think they probably needed a good alignment rack because it didn't run as well on Sunday. But um, yeah, I I know that car. So yeah, so and and you know we talked about. A lot of talk about VIR as a racetrack on on the Facebook groups and stuff. Uh, conversation started on the Spec Miata page, and then uh, rolled over onto um, 
And then I put out a post <laughs> and and got a lot of thoughts on that as well. And Some pot stirring here going yeah. on. Yeah. Well, no, I I actually wanted to have a good discussion about it because yeah, absolutely. Um, and 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 that discussion was was mostly respectful. Um, Tony Ave brought out a good part is that uh, no wall has ever jumped in front of his car and attacked it. So, mm-hmm. um, true. you know, and, and I think there's, there's something, there's something to be said about that. Um, but there's also something to be said about how you place those walls and where you place them. Um, and, and I, I wasn't part of that thought process. I don't know enough about what was there. Um, Cause there's a, a gap for me at VIR from when I moved out West in 2014. Cause when I left, there were no, none of those walls were there. Um, yeah. And then when I went back out there for the runoffs this past year, all of a sudden they were there. So I'm sure it was not last year where they went up, but I'm guessing they went up over time. Um, but there does seem to be some peculiar choices as to where they put them. Well, Trevor, they put the walls there to keep the cars out of the woods. Right. <laughs> right. And, you know, and- back, in, back in the day, the first, the first iteration of VIR, you know, uh, cars would run all the way to the trees. Right. So, I it strikes me and and Gabe or Trevor, have you either of you driven at VIR? I have twice, a super tour. Okay, twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one. So the FE two. So only virtually for me. You've only virtually. Okay, I've done a lot of laps there virtually as well. Um, <laughs> it does strike me, Gabe, that maybe gravel traps would have been smarter than Armco in some of these areas. Um. Yeah. Uh, definitely because gravel trap not only does it slows the car down very quickly right it 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 you basically bury your car right. in that in that kitty litter in that sand and it stops that car so number one stops car sooner it's not you know 250 down from turn one down a turn one wall and uh but you know the track is the same for everybody and right. that was the sort of the, the the view that i have on it like i said i've driven vr twice so i'm not the most experienced in the fe2 um, you know, I did spin, you know, pushing the limit. You can't find the limit unless you go over it. Um, and I did drive it in the wet. You know, I went off turn one, you know, plenty of times, but I was able to get back on, fortunately. But the track is the same for everybody. If there's no, if, if there's 60 people not going off and two people have a really big wreck, I'm sort of leaning towards those two people are maybe at fault here, not the track. Right. Now, granted, I mean, the walls, especially at the end of the back straight, going to the roller coaster now, they added that brand new one, I think, last year. Mm-hmm. Um, that's bit a lot of people, and I know it has. Um, but, I, you know, the walls are the same for everybody. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And I do think one of the things that makes it very, um, like, present of mind at VIR is the way their rescue crews respond to tracks uh, or incidents. And um, I, I am... N- I, I try very hard not to be critical of rescue crews because they have a hard job to do and, Absolutely. and it can be dangerous. Um, but, but they, um, because of the way they do things, um, they wait till there's uh, uh, most of the cars are collected by a pace car before they go out. In many cases, um, there are no <clears throat> hot poles at VIR and I know other racetracks do. Right. And because yep. of that, you know, every incident for the most part ends up in a full course yellow. You know, and yes. I, I think maybe if there were less full course yellows, there would be less discussion about all of the other stuff. 
Um, right. I think it's it's sort of like a compounding effect. Yeah. You get in this brain, you get in your brain, your brain as as you're heading out on course at VR. There's gonna be a full course yellow in this race. It could be on lap one, turn one. It could be on the final lap. Right. I gotta get to the front right now, and I'm gonna do whatever it takes to get there. Right. And then it's that's a, when a, you can cause more bonehead moves. Right. It's a it's a compounding effect. Yep, I yes, agree. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, Paul, when you said you were a Spec Miata driver that has switched now to production, may I ask why you've switched to production and you didn't stay with Spec Miata? I ran Spec Miata, uh, all the whole entire time I ran Spec Miata, it was a regional class until the last year I ran Spec Miata. Okay. And, uh, I was, uh, that was the year the, uh, Spec Miata went national. The runoffs were at Topeka, first year at Topeka. And right. I was trying really hard to uh, score enough points to be able to uh, run my Miata at Topeka. Halfway through the season, I had still not scored a point. Mm-hmm. We had in Colorado in the Rocky Mountain uh, Division at that time, we had about 48 cars that were running in the uh, national series and you had to, had to score in the top 10 to score a point. I ran in the top 10 several races and then had incidents and finished outside the top 10. Right. So there I sat halfway through the season without scoring a point. And I said, well, I want to go to the runoffs. They're in Topeka. It's in my backyard. And uh, so I switched and ran a showroom stock B car the rest of the season qualified for the runoffs and went to uh went to Topeka. And then you so just... my first my first runoffs. Right. And after that I never went back to Spec Miata again. Okay. Uh, I ran GT uh GT Light uh for a few years after that and then I got a production car. Got it. Got it. Um the, the kind of the reason I asked I was wondering if it was something having to do with with the the way Spec Miata races uh, have a reputation of running, um, you know, and, and I say reputation and I and I cho- I choose that word really carefully um, because I've been doing this um, since 1986 um, in, in varying forms of this sport. I've been a driver. I've been a flagger. I've been a race official. I've I've done lots of this sport um, and I don't particularly think spec me out racers are any you know, better or worse as far as contact and aggressiveness than any other class that's out there. Um, I think there are some things that are inherent when you have huge fields. Um, and there's a lot of bumping and grinding that goes on um, because there is a, a perceived desperation to get to the front in a short period of time. Um, and um, But I don't think that's unique to Spec Miata. So that's why I was wondering, you know, um, everyone like, is like for, for even this weekend, all, you know, all these cars, you know, everyone gets to the edge of the fence when a spec Miata race comes on because there's huge fields, which means there's going to be something exciting that's going to happen. It's kind of inherent, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and a lot of people equate exciting with cars going off the course and bumping and all this kind of stuff. So um, there's that. So, all right, that's awesome. Good, good, good conversation on that. Let's move on. Uh, Gabe, what is uh, what did you bring for us today? All right. So my dad was the one who told me to come on his podcast. And I said, no, nah, I don't want to because I'm not that interesting. I haven't done a whole lot because I'm I'm pretty young. But he was like, well, you could talk about going from sim racing, which was what I did when I was you know younger, all the way up to 
what I do now in the FE2. And I was like, nah, that's, you know, tons of people have done that. So I'm going to talk about youth in the SCCA. Love it. And, the, and maybe the lack thereof, depending on what you, uh, the way you look at it. So I'm 23 years old. I turned 24 in two weeks, but I still consider myself, at least for now, part of the youth. Maybe, maybe in like a year or two, I'll be one of the old guys. No. Um, pushing 25, you know? No. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Paul and so I, I are talk- sitting here with a big smile <laughs> on our face. Yeah. So I want to talk about, you know, how I got into the SCCA as, as a young person and why I can't get any of my friends into it. Oh, that's a great idea. Let's let's talk yeah, about that and try to try to figure out why that doesn't happen. See if we can't come up with some solutions. So let me so, ask you this before you go. Yeah. I with that as the premise, and before we dig deep, so you have friends that you can't get interested in the SCCA. Are they interested in cars in other types of forms of 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 enthusiast or? Absolutely. Okay. Yes, I got great. lots of friends that are in cars. They got do it. drifting. They cool. do. All kinds of stuff with cars, right, and so- uh, but no SCCA road racing. Okay, so, so uh, as I just mentioned, one of my one of my very very good friends, very into cars, uh, loves Billy. He has he builds his own Miata, uh, and he drifts it. And I said, well, have you ever thought about you know taking it and put it in an SCCA regional race? It's like, no, nah, I really don't want to. Oh, why? Well, number one, you know, drifting it's cheap. You buy a h- cheap hundred dollar set of tires on Amazon. And you call it good for an event. Your entry fees around fifty bucks. The local track that I'm from, uh, down here in Southern Indiana, we have a lot of ovals over uh, high banks that do drifting events, figure eight racing. Um, it's about fifty dollars for an entry for a day. You compare that to say a super tour entry fee, mm-hmm. and you're looking at seven hundred fifty dollars there. And like we were just talking about with this Miata race, how much green flag racing did you get? Versus how much can you get in the drift event? Sure, there are incidents, but it's nowhere near as much. So I kind of wanted to look at some different... I actually have a sheet over here with bullet points on it that I want to talk about. Okay. Uh, so I, I used Grid Life as an example. Sure. If you've ever heard of, or if you ever heard of Grid Life. I have. And one of the first things I noticed um, was the... Being as I'm a young person, I went on Instagram. Sure. And I checked Grid Life's follower count. It's 134,000. Does anybody know what SCCA's Instagram account has? It is not 134,000. Is it more or less? <laughs> um, it, it's significantly less. 41.9,000. Okay, so, so a third. About a third. Huh? That's, on, that's on Instagram? That is on Instagram because that's what okay. young people use. Uh, <laughs> yep. Even, I did check the Facebook as well. Um, Facebook, again, has more. It's only about 10,000 more. Um, but I think that's part of why uh, SCCA's age demographic is a little bit sure. higher. So a lot more Facebook users versus right. Instagram sense. users. So that's something that I think that SCCA could really do better. And if you go look at GridLife social medias, they have videos, edited videos, montages, you know, super crazy, uh, just highly edited marketing tools, basically. And they're posting every day, all the time, every day. You go look at SCCA's marketing, you know, their social media, and it's lacking severely no one so will think, argue that so i think that's something that <laughs> we that scca can improve upon maybe yep. even hire a social media director if they don't have it i assume they have one already but get somebody in there hey for young people we gotta start posting you know, more on instagram get some cool reels on there try to post you know videos more on youtube uh you know see what the scca is all about and then i also want to talk about cost 
analysis in there. So as I said at the beginning of the podcast, I uh, I went to Bondurant. It's now called Radford. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was out in uh, uh, Arizona. Yep. And I say the whole trip for me to do their advanced road racing school was about $8,000. Um, I don't know if very many 20-year-olds can afford $8,000 cash out of pocket. You know, here you go. I'm going to go drive a race car for four days. Um, versus, again, grid life or any sort of track rental or drifting, 50 bucks, 100 bucks. You drive your passenger car there. You drive it around. You leave. Now, one thing I will give SCCA is the uh, Track Night in America. Right. I'm going to go do a Track Night in America with my brother in his 2017 Mustang EcoBoost uh, at the uh, National Corvette Museum in May. I'm very excited to learn what that's all about to kind of see the demographics there. If there's any younger people that say, hey, you can drive your passenger car here, drive it as fast as you as you are comfortable and then drive it home. Right. And it's relatively cheap. Um, so. I think when I've seen people also talk about the rising costs, you know, the current economy is kind of bad. Yeah, it's tough. <laughs> we'll say it's it's tough out there and racing i feel like is one of the things that's on the back burner for a lot of people especially a lot of sponsorships and uh, marketing companies oh what's the first thing to get cut from marketing budget it's mostly going to be racing probably right um so let's chew on your two your first two points for a second yeah for sure and and then we'll go back um paul you and i are like i said the elder statesman on this list um mm-hmm. Cost. Let's start with cost. When we started, we complained about the same thing, didn't we? We did. Yeah. But when I started, uh, the first year I drove my Spec Miata, uh, I drove it back and forth to the track because I right. had plates on it. And yep. I was careful when I was on track because I knew I had to drive it home on Sunday night. Right. Um, then I got a flatbed trailer. Then I got a motorhome and an enclosed trailer. Yep. You know, it just goes down that road. Right. Um, you know, when I first started racing uh, 22 years ago, uh, the majority of the paddock were flatbed open trailers. Right. And, uh, and you know, it's changed a lot. It has. Uh, I think the reason why it's changed is, only the after 2008, only the well-heeled racers, or fairly well-heeled racers, or those that just couldn't quit, are the ones that stuck around. Right. Um, through that last big recession. You know, um, Gabe talked about going to Bondurant. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of areas in this country where, um, back when you and I did this, got started. You know, most regions held a school every year. That's that's what I did. And um, we could get our license without going to a Bondurant. Yeah, um, a couple hundred bucks. And it, it was a little longer of a process, maybe, because you had to go to two schools, and then you had to right. do your two regionals um, mm-hmm. before you could get your re- regional license. Then you had to do four nationals before you get to your, na- you know, your, na- your national license. But um, even if you, if you were running a low-cost a lower cost car like a Miata or a, or an IT car or a Formula V, um, you could get your national license um, for far less than eight thousand dollars. Oh yeah. Um, 
without even thinking about it. Now, it took longer. Maybe the instruction wasn't as good. The one thing I will say about professional schools, Gabe, is that um, you learn a lot more about how to drive a car fast at a Bondurant, whereas in an SCCA school, you're learning more about how to drive a car safely. Um, and I think that's the key difference between those two schools. So, but you you don't have that option isn't there as many in, in as many places. Cal Club, one of the biggest regions in the country, doesn't do a driver school. Right. And, and, and I actually before I looked this up, I went to I know Pit Pit Race. They do. I think it's coming up in June. I think at the end of June they're doing or beginning of June they're doing a uh, like kind of double regional and and school. Right. They do that, and I think the entry fee I looked up was three hundred and fifty dollars. And uh, I think Waterford Hills also does does some. I've been to Waterford. Right. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Alex Del Torre, he's a great guy up there. Um, but like, yeah, three hundred fifty dollars for a pit race school entry fee versus right. eight grand for Bondurant. <laughs> right. And yep. and Gabe, you, you know what you're saying is so true. I mean, I would not have gotten into a race car for the first time had my dad not had a race car. You know, um, and my first dri- two driver schools were gifts for graduating from high school. You know, but what about kids who don't have that opportunity, who don't have that background? Um, right. You know, it, it was it was very what I'm what I'm trying to say, not that it's right. Don't get me wrong, um, is that it, for kids, it's always been hard. Maybe it's harder now, um, but it's always been expensive. And we've always been a club and maybe we and, and, and I don't want us to be. Um, but we've always been a club who's who's skewed older because of the cost of what it does to do what we do. Right. Um, so how do we change that, Gabe? How do we, how do we get the grid lifers to come and, well, and, and play? Yeah. Um, I, the first thing that I do is, uh, word, word of mouth, yeah. advertising by mouth. Every time I see somebody, um, that shows any of the slightest interest in it and asking me about what I do in my racing, because, um, you know, around here, uh, Southern Indiana is, uh, Stock cars, ARCA, midgets, sprint cars, um, short track oval racing, you know, dirt, dirt right. oval racing. Not, oh, I've been to the Watkins Glen, you know, I've sat on the podium at a super tour at Watkins Glen. I've been to VIR. I've been to Mid-Ohio in an FE2, a winged formula car. Right. Um, and they're like, well, that's really cool. How do you get into this? And I always try and tell them like, hey, you got to start here, here and here. And I always lay out. Exactly. And and now that I know about this SCCA schooling, I think I would point them in that direction as opposed to, say, the new the new the Bondurant or right. or Skip Barber, Bertil Ruse. <clears throat> I didn't know about the, uh, the SCCA schools. I didn't know those existed. Yeah, I that's had a problem. no clue that was a thing. I probably would have done that instead. Yep. That's a if, uh, if I had known. So I was spending all that money to go fly out to Arizona by myself. Exactly. When I was 19. Yep. <laughs> so, but, tre- Trevor, it, let me bring you into this because you're wearing the track <laughs> night sweatshirt there. There you go. You're representing for track night. Um, I and the hat bit, too, but and the hat. Okay. Yep. I can see the hat. I'm more, I'm looking at the, the the production monitor that I use is really really <clears> tiny. <throat> I have to. It's look, not the best webcam either. I have so. to look over here, which is not good yeah. for TV to see the good pictures. But anyway, um, <laughs> um, so you've been to track night. Tell me about the type of of the demographic of people that you see when you go to a track night. It. It's a little bit of everything, which is the best you could hope for, for giving people a first taste or even just a home with the club. Um, we are a very strong <clears throat> uh, region or part of the country for it. Of course, the, re- the events are not exactly region run, although in many cases they're supported by personnel who have history with the local regions and, and our leaders among them. But uh, 
uh, yeah, in New England, uh, we've had a few tracks now that sell out practically every event. And since the program's inception, uh, it's it's been worthwhile to add more dates um, without having to do funny business with pricing and whatnot. Right. Uh, it's not true around the country, but um, for when it clicks with the people that are supporting the events, and especially for those people that have never been exposed to this type of environment before, and they start spreading the word, um, it, it should be said this has also been one of the club's more successful digital marketing efforts, um, which obviously skews towards a younger audience in, right. in many cases than um, they turn out. And uh, 95% of the time, they they have such a blast, they can't wait till the next one. Yeah. So at your at your region, in, in your area, because mm -hmm. uh, track night is, like you said, supported by the region, but it really is a national program. Uh, national staff are the ones that come up with the plan. They hire the people, so usually sometimes regional people from around the area to run it. Um, do your local regions do any outreach during the events? Yes. Um, I have to say that tentatively because it's been a little bit hard to keep everybody um, in, in the proper understanding of just how many people come through. Um, in, in our part of the country, uh, Kathy Barnes is is an, a, a staffer on the track night side and a maven on the New England region yes, side. She and she's um, she's she's got the, the exact number in her head at, at the ready at all times of how many drivers have started with a track night and gone on to get a competition license for, for wheel of wheel racing or they do time trials now or I don't know if anybody's gone to the extent of getting a pro license yet, but I bet it's coming. Yeah. Um, so they're they're. There have been many success stories here, but uh, I'm sure all three of you have seen in your respective uh, times at the SCCA that people find their niche involvement in the club and they get kind of tunnel vision on, um, you know, the, the club racing program's success or the, the you know, the team's success if, if you're running with a particular team. And it's, it's hard to keep eyes on the periphery of where new people might be coming in from. Um, but the reality is they're there and, and they do make it through. Um, and it, you kind of have to use the terms like that. There have traditionally been barriers to entry for new members in the club and the whole thought process of track night um, and some other of these experiential programs has been to knock those barriers down and, and uh, you know, open the floodgate a little bit more. We, we've had extensive conversations on this podcast about converting X to road racing. You know, how do we get the, the track night people to go road racing? How do we get the autocross people to go road racing? And one of the things that I find, um, and, and that has always been, I think, a, a large thought process amongst the club. Um, and and after thinking about it and having conversations with a lot of people uh, over a lot of different uh, adult beverages um, and on this podcast, um, something that um, Hayward Wagner um said at one of our podcasts has always stuck with me. And it was one of the, one of the best things I've heard so far. Um, while it's, it's nice to convert people to bring them on that will go on. Why, why, why is that such a big deal? You know, if we have people who are having fun at a track night and never come to a club race, that's great. You know, if we have people who are, are, are just who love autocross and don't have the desire to go wheel-to-wheel -wheel racing 
and all that goes with that, that's great. You know, yep. um, and and if 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 we can bring some young people to a track night who have who have the itch to go wheel to wheel racing and we scratch that itch and we can get them to show up at a school, that's great, too. You know, so um, uh, that's what I like about track night is that there's it's it's the low barrier to entry. Um, there's a lot of them at some really cool racetracks. And um, what I do find, though, is that even though the goal may not be to necessarily have to convert these people, I find that the the um, the efforts to convert or the efforts to let people at track nights know about all the other things the club are doing are sometimes lacking. And that is on the region, not the national who are there uh, running it. You know, regions would be smart if they had the time. And I know we're all strapped for time because we're volunteers. Mm-hmm. To send someone to a track night with the with the sole purpose of walking through the track night paddock, shaking hands and handing out a pamphlet that has a website on it, our our Instagram, our our Facebook, um, and telling people, you know, if you're having fun here and all you want to do is this, great. But there's a bunch <clears> of other <throat> things that we do, and here's how you check it out. Um, yeah, we've, the- we've been fairly we've been fairly effective out here in Colorado. Um, we're, we're lucky for a, for a very sparsely populated state. We have a lot of club racing tracks and, uh, we, we hold, um, track night in America events at typically two different tracks, uh, here in, uh, Colorado each year, a couple times at high plains and at least once at, uh, PPIR. And what we've done is, not so much trying to get them to come out for club racing, but uh, uh, get them to come out for time trial events. Right. And we run our time trial events in conjunction with all of our road racing weekends. Right. Uh, we have we have a couple of uh, a couple of uh, uh, time trial sessions. So that's the next the next logical step for those folks. They don't have to cage a car. They bring the same car they brought out for yep. Track Night in America. We just slap a transponder in it, and now they're competing, and they like that. Right. So, Gabe, I want to get to the rest of your points in a second, um, but I do want to get a chance for Trevor to jump on and, and talk about what he wanted to talk about when he came on, and then we'll come back. Was oh, that okay with you? For sure, 100%. Um, and I will say one other thing about your social media comments, um, about the lack of social media engagement, um, the lack of content. You are 100% correct. Everybody at the club at National knows it. Um, the efforts to do better are, are exponentially better than they used to be. <laughs> well, I'm glad, but it's still a long ways but to go. Still, yeah, yeah absolutely. there's still a long ways to go. And, but, um, um, but I, what your, your observations are spot on. Um, and I know there's, there's the want to be able to do more. Um, but it does require probably a full-time social media person who they don't have at the moment. Um, and I think everybody would agree that we should have one. Um, and it's coming up with the money for that, which is sometimes hard. Um, but we'll talk about that more. All right, Trevor, you're up. You've been patient. Um, what you got for us? No, no worries. Uh, well, uh, 2023 is the year of the big hundredth, uh, anniversary running of the 24 hours of Le Mans and Francis here. Um, I fingers are crossed as hard as they can be, but best as I can tell, uh, we'll be one of the lucky few people representing the SECA in the United States on the track side as a flagger there. Really? Um, there, there will be quite a few of us. Uh, it'll be my second time going over there, but 
Um, just uh, wanted to throw it out there that this is this is a cool thing that uh, if you join the club and put in a little time uh, volunteering at the trackside, not having to buy your race tickets or or camping passes and all those other things that get very expensive, um, you know, you can let it take you where, wherever you might fancy. Um, and uh, kind of ties into our global discussion that we're having tonight, I would think. But uh, my my whole um, appreciation for what the club does for me and, and just all the people that are, uh, uh, you know, that find it worth their money and time to be members is that it's, it's a connectedness with the greater motorsports world that, um, you know, that you can't say is just down to one, you know, company's, uh, you know, being generous with, with, you know, I don't know, their entertainment product or something like that. Right. Uh, it's, it, it's, it's a way to connect with the racing world, uh, in, in almost any way you can find. Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, less than eight weeks away now, still some travel things I have to get, but, uh, they're, they're notoriously late with actually confirming people, but, um, <laughs> I, I've got a, on decent authority that uh, that'll be making my second trek out there. Um, wouldn't wouldn't miss the hundredth for anything. I fell in love with the race uh, when I was uh, early on in high school, and um, that's that's my big heartthrob is the endurance sports car racing. Uh, sprints are great, open wheels great. I do a little bit of everything in the club, but uh, yeah, racing through the night in the French countryside is awesome. All right, dripping sarcasm alert. You can take an SCCA license and go to Le Mans. No, I'm just absolutely. We're going to talk more about that in just a second because I, I want to dig deeper. I I'm I have completely forgotten to take my breaks today, so let's take a quick <laughs> break. When we come back, I want to get into that just a little bit more um, because we had some conversations about that here uh, as well. So let's do that, and then we'll be back in just a second. Stay with us. Uh, this is inside the SECA our roundtable for racers discussion. We'll be right back.
uh, the chicane at night, and they just clearly had you know, an extra hundred horse. Welcome back to Inside the SCCA. I'm Brian Polanski. Got a great panel of guests today. Gabe Farabach, Paul Jensen, Trevor Hermans. Talking about a lot of different things. At the moment, we're talking about flagging. We've uh, we basically touched on a lot of pretty cool stuff so far. And uh, I uh, love the fact that uh, we're doing this tonight. So I, 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 I gave out the sarcasm alert, Trevor. Um, so explain to me how you were able to get invited to go flag at Lamar. I mean, where did you learn where did you learn what you needed to learn for them to trust you to go flag at one of the most important uh races in the world? Uh as far as learning, um it's all practice from the lower grassroots, I say lower, but you know, the the, the beginner levels of of wheel-to-wheel racing, whether it be regionals, schools, or, you know, nationals, majors, uh whatever the terminology may be at the time. Um up to, you know, uh, finding your local pro race. If you've got an IMSA or an SCCA pro event nearby, um, nine times out of 10, you'll be welcome to participate with uh, the crews that staff those. Uh, the the invitation side of it or getting the connection to somebody who hopefully can speak English pretty well, as I am not bilingual with the French yet, um, should be, but eh, I keep putting that off. Uh, it, it's it's uh, That can be the tricky part. Um, but it, it, at the same time, it's evidence of just how much of a network this whole um, uh, family of, of race enthusiasts, flaggers, licensed drivers, whatever your way of involvement is. Um, the uh, in New England region had another member uh, who uh, went overseas to try it a couple of years before I first went in 2018. And he did so through a contact that previously had actually come to North America and worked Montreal for the Formula One Grand right, Prix. Right. Um, so this member had been in Montreal, met this uh, Frenchman, and he said, you know, you should come over and work Le Mans with me at some point. Yeah, why not? Um, uh, as soon as you get the in there, you know, you, you, you build a rapport with somebody who has enough, um, you know, has enough uh, responsibility on that side with their event and the local event. Uh, right. You can uh, you can create an account on the Le Mans website and um, be in touch through Facebook or right. whatever your social media of choice, email, and uh, and make sure everything's good to go. I, I, I said sarcasm, as sarcasm alert because I, I knew the answer to the question. Um, of course. There, there's been, um, there's been a, a group from Milwaukee region that has gone to Lamar for, I don't know if they still go, but they went for a lot of years. Um, and that's how I learned about it. Um, we did a, a, a keynote at the convention with John Doonan, who is the president of, the, uh, of IMSA. Um, yep. And he got his start in the SCCA. Uh, he was also the the president of Mazda and instrumental in all of the spec this and spec that and and FE2 having a Mazda motor in it and and all of the things that Mazda does with the SCCA. And uh, one of the things he talks about in that in our keynote we talk about extensively is how the fact that IMSA could not do their races without our SCCA flaggers. Um, and for those who might not know. Um, this weekend uh, is the Long Beach Grand Prix, and the entire flag corps from Long Beach Grand Prix will be SCCA racers, SCCA flaggers, and we support that race here. Cal Club does with a lot of personnel beyond even the flaggers. We do a lot of stuff with the Grand Prix, and they've done it for the whole 48 years that it's been going on. And uh, But if you want to go to an IndyCar race um, on any of the non-ovals, 
and flag. You're going to find SCCA flaggers at those events. Um, and if you want to go, you know, there's this really cool race. It's in a, the, the, the Principality of, of Monaco. Um, if you ever want to race there you or flag there, you know, F1 takes our flaggers too. It might take a letter and a little bit of, of you know, work to get there and get the approval. Um, if you go to Montreal first, it helps you go to any other F1 race. That's that's my advice. If you want to go uh, flag any of the F1 races around the world, uh, go to Montreal um, and and flag there, or go to Mexico City and flag there. That's probably the easiest way in. Um, and then once you've done one, they get you on the list, and then that makes getting invited to go to some of these other ones a lot easier. Um, but you can do it, and and uh, that's one of the perks of going through and, and becoming a flagger through the SCCA. So, um, um, so what, what was it like? And, and we're going to move on in, in just a second, but while real quick is I got to ask, what's it like? Is there champagne on the corner? Is there, is there, is there croissants all the, uh, everywhere? Do they deliver croissants to the corner? No, um, you're kind of on your own for the the food side. I think there is champagne champagne at the finish, okay. but I sadly actually missed the the very end in 2018. I had to leave a little bit earlier wow. than planned. But um, uh, my particular location was within walking distance of a bakery and a supermarket. So perfect. Um, uh, I, you know, I was just kind of going with the flow with my hosts. Uh, they set me up with a tent and sleeping bag stuff that would be a little more difficult to fly with. Uh, the same offers on the table this year, but I'm going a little longer, so I'm not sure if I'm going to rent a camper van or some such. Uh, but the 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 host meal every day uh, was a baguette <clears throat> and some uh, kind of their version of spam, really ham in a can. <laughs> um, you know, real plain stuff, but you could tell it's uh, it's what got them through world wars and stuff like that. So yeah. it was kind of fun. Cool. Um, but yeah, it's just great living by the tracks. I just just like you would at home, but uh, it's Le Mans. It's a big deal. Cool. Cool. All right, let's. I'm going to take my squeeze another break in here real quick, um, and then we'll get back to uh, uh, Gabe's. How many more bullets do you have, Gabe? Uh, I got two more bullet points. Okay, we'll we'll do two more bullets, and then we'll do a You're quick. Ready to go. We'll do a quick whip around of everybody to see if there's any last thoughts. We'll do that when we come back. Uh, this is inside the SCCA. Don't go away.
And we're back on Inside the SCCA. I'm Brian Belansky. My guest tonight, Gabe Farabach, Paul Jensen, Trevor Hermance, talking a lot of different stuff. Uh, by the way, talk about social media. Let's uh, let's hit the subscribe button, smash the like button. That's what the kids say. Yes, sir. That's right. Hit that bell so you can get alerted that uh, we're doing this on the YouTube, on the Racing Network on YouTube. I also want to let people know, I'll tease, deep tease here. We have a new podcast that we're going to de- debut on the uh, the Racing Wire Podcast Network here pretty quick. Uh, it's another SCCA member, and I can't wait to have him on here. He's just started out, and he's doing a great job, so I'm looking forward to that. We'll talk more about that. And uh, we're going to do a joint podcast together uh, to introduce his stuff, so it'll be fun. Uh, Noah Hambe- uh, Hambayi, I- I'm sure I've butchered your name, Noah, in the chat, says... Uh, uh, the club should crowdsource social media to members. A strategy that leverages members will outperform a club-only strategy. You are absolutely 100% correct. Um, the key is finding the ways to get to, to to talk the club members to stop wrenching on their car for 10 minutes to shoot off an Instagram post. Shoot off an Instagram video. Yeah, yeah. make a quick little montage or a highlight. <laughs> yep. Do a reel or, or a short or whatever you want to do. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, we're, when we're at the racetrack... Um, Gabe, it's sometimes it's hard to remember that because we got a lot of stuff going on trying to get our cars on the racetrack. Well, maybe you, but not me. Okay, yeah, because right, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm attached to my phone. You're, all a, time. you're an arriving driver too. You're one of I'm those a, guys. I, well, yeah, I own my car, <laughs> but it's it's prepared by a prep right. shop. So Which I basically awesome. show up and I, you know, I say, "Did you guys bring my car? Yeah, we did. Is it set up? Yeah. All right. Tell me when I have to go, That's and then I'll right. go out and." So, times them. <laughs> so, so we are a little short on time, but I do want to get to your other two bullets. So let's let's hit them real quick here. So bullet number, well, they kind of go together. So it was one giant thought here is if you think about things like car shows or grid life or um, uh, like Tale of the Dragon, if you guys have ever heard that, it's it's US 129 in North Carolina, 28, um, which 11 cars of craziness through the mountains. And uh it, every year, there's always big, huge, hundreds and hundreds of people go there and and drive basically in a giant line, and you just see all kinds of cars. And it's sort of a run what you brung kind of mentality. You know, that used to be the, the mentality back back in the day. You know, you build your own car and you race it. Versus today, the GCR is, you know, that thick, and trying to figure out and thumb through it. Okay, so this references this page but then that references that page for this car for this class okay well what about this motor in this specific car um it is kind of confusing it can be very very confusing and i know there's a new class coming to c-spec t5 uh frank schwartz has been birthing i'm looking into building a car for that uh, and so i've been thumbing through the gcr and it can be it can be tough and i think you know a lot of kids today in my generation we you know we don't want to follow rules we want to say hey I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. And then I'm going to race it the way I want to race it. So there's kind of a, you know, maybe not a disconnect, but say, Hey, there's something that track not America does very well. When I was going through the registering process for my brother with my brother, and my dad is signing up, figuring out what you need for your car, what kind of car you can bring. I mean, the, the whole website for track not America is very well laid out. And I want to give huge props to the people who, who have done that. It's very well laid. But I think, you know, the SCCA, you know, especially when it comes to road racing, GCR, um, we can figure out a way to simplify things, uh, which is hard for building a car from basically the ground up, if that's what you're doing. Um, but I think that's a way you can bring in more young people. I, uh, it's basically a step-by-step. Say, hey, this is what you got to do, and you could you can drive this car on the track. 
I always joke that the GCR is thicker than a Chicago phone book. And then the kids look at me and go, what's a Chicago? What's a phone book? <laughs> well, I'm sure nowadays nobody has home phones. So it's exactly. only that thick anyway. <laughs> exactly. So, all right. What's your third? What's your fourth bullet? Well, that was kind of it. It was okay. <clears throat> combining the building the classes and then also talking about Tale of the Dragon, right. which is, you know, people building their own cars and coming out and have fun with their cars, which is what the ESCCA does. Right. But they're building them to their own spec, not to the GCR or whatever. And I think if we maybe not open up the GCR, like, hey, just bring some spec'd out 3,000 horsepower, you know, Mustang. Right. Or some some Ken Block, you know, rest in peace, uh, Hoonigan or something. Right, right. To go race, that'd be crazy. But I think we can uh, we can really work together with national to get maybe like a set a guide or a step by step bullet point on how to hey you want to run you got a V six Mustang here's what you got to do to run in T four. Let me just read this to you guys <clears throat> um, as an example of of not where the club needs the the club's not where it needs to be, but it, how it has uh, um, it recognizes a lot of what you're saying, Gabe. And uh, this year's track. Uh, tire rack time trial nationals has moved to the second weekend in October. Um, and the, there is a partnership now with grassroots grassroots motorsports. They're going to host the ultimate track car challenge during the four day long event. Uh, it's uh, they're going to bring 25 builds to this thing, uh, which are very cool race cars and find out who has built or bought the uh, best track weapon. Also, Time Trial Nationals uh, is going to be a partnership this year with the North America Time Attack Competition, Global Time Attack, Grid Life, and the SCCA. So great. it's an effort to bring all of these organizations together on a weekend Absolutely. so that they can all benefit because it's not just us wanting to do get more of the Grid Life people. You know, the Grid Life right. people maybe want to get some of our people too. So, um, And I've always been a firm believer that, you know, Paul, when you and I started this, we were the only game in town, right? Mm-hmm. Then NASA came along. Yep. They started doing a little this or that. And there were yep. some local little regional. So, you know, being from the Midwest, there's the Midwest Council. Waterford Hills has their own little track, uh, their own little club. Uh, but for the most part, the, from a national level, SCCA was it. We had no competition. And right. and we sat on our on our tuchuses for 50 years because we didn't have to do anything else. Mm-hmm. And and now there's NASA. Now there's Grid Life. Now there is Champ Car World Series and Lemons and all of these different WRL. organizations. WRL, WRL, exactly. Yeah. I mean, um, American Endurance Series, right? So yeah. it's fragmented so much over the last two decades that uh, that nobody has a big piece of the pie anymore, right? Um, and and National understands that um, they're making moves to to you know, do what they can to be part of this global community of motorsports. It's not just the SECA anymore. Um, lots of work to be done. But, um, you know, I think there's the the current regime, regime is not the right word. I hate that word. <laughs> <laughs> but the current group of people at National, there's a lot of, of, of uh, institutional knowledge, a lot of folks who've been there for a long time. But there's also a whole new crop of younger folks, Abby Shear, Dan Dennehy, um, uh, folks who've got experience outside of the SCCA who are also not part of, of the graying of the SCCA like, like Paul and I are. Um, and mm-hmm. we need people like Paul and I because, you know, we're the ones who have some buying power, some money power to go and keep the club going. 
Um, but if we don't leverage the younger folks who are working with the club and the kids like Gabe, um, and I can still call you a kid, um, that's not meant in any kind <laughs> of derogatory there, yeah. way, um, and, and get everybody involved. I think the future is as bright now as it's ever been. Um, lots of work that still needs to be done. All right, let's do a quick whip around and see if anybody's got final starts. Let's start with Paul. Yep. Um, I, I like to think that, uh, you know, I'd like to look at a glass half full and, and not half empty. Um, we do have a lot of things uh, that we uh, that we still do very well. Um, SCCA as a group does a lot of things really well. Uh, we run very well organized, very safe events, typically. Um, and uh, we, we have room for improvement. Some of the things that we brought on, like Track Night in America and, and our time trial program out here in the Rocky Mountain West, uh, has become very, very popular. And I think that's something we can really build on. Absolutely. Trevor? Yeah. Um, just uh, know that your role in the club, whether it be as a driver or a volunteer or um, crew person, if, if you're a member and you you know a little bit of how to get involved or, or a process that you've been through, that you can share with somebody to help get them involved. Um, you're you're a helpful ambassador for keeping this whole thing going. Um, it's it's a connection to the rest of the, the motoring world, and uh, you know you you'll have a home if uh, if you still find it's fun to come out and and watch the cars go or make them go. Gabe. Um. Yeah. I'm just gonna echo what these guys said. Um. And also, just if you if you are at road racing circuits and you are taking videos obviously frontward facing cameras are mandatory upload your videos to youtube make youtube videos i do almost all of my races get uploaded to youtube get some views share it with people you know um and you know gets people talking get people looking at youtube you know kids love to watch youtube yep. um, and, and i would can i say one last thing that's sure just kind of ended on a sad note kind of um so april 12th today is the uh one year passing of scott reddick mm. Um, I do run with Alliance Auto Sport. I love the family. I'm wearing my Alliance Auto Sport shirt right now. Um, so I want to say to Rebecca Reddick, um, Pat and Don, his parents, Al and Surin, I'm thinking of you guys and uh, the SECA of a whole. I think I can speak for everybody. You know, we miss Scott greatly, and we're thinking of all of you guys and everybody at Alliance Auto Sport. Thank you for that. Um, we did a, a podcast right after Scott passed, a tribute podcast, and. Um, Yes, I, I, yeah, I listened to that. If, it was um, gut-wrenching. <laughs> yeah, if you want to learn a little bit more, Scott, and how much you meant to people, go back and listen to that because um, he was he was quite a remarkable guy. Um, yep. And a lot of us, um, who, anybody who knows him misses him, no question about it. So, Absolutely. Um, I, I just want to end on this note. Um, if you we, – we are the solution, the four of us here, the other club members – um, all of the stuff that we've talked about here and whatever problems the club has or the things that the club needs to improve on that we haven't talked about, because there's more, um, the people who are, the members are the solution. Um, there are, and, and just like any organization, 20% of the p people do 80% of the work in the SCCA. Um, right. if, if you have, if you have time, if you have ideas, um, get involved in your local club, become a board member volunteer bring your ideas bring your thoughts especially if you're if you're uh, if you're some of the younger folks um you guys have energy that we we don't have <laughs> so um um i don't know any club that would turn down 
um, the opportunity to have some some new blood in the in the um, administrative ranks uh, to help out with all of that stuff. Um, and and we can all work together to make the club even better. Um, and uh, that's how I want to end for tonight. Um, come out, do it, have a good time doing it and get involved. Um, that I, I did it. It's the best thing I ever did. Um, so, uh, it's a good time and you have make good friends for life as we all know. So do that. Uh, Gabe, Paul, Trevor, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, great conversation. Um, for those who are watching or listening, we'll do this again in a couple of months. This is, I think we should do this every couple of months. Uh, we'll get, uh, four more people to jump in and, and, uh, do the conversation again. And I appreciate all of your time. So, all right, guys. All right. Thank, Thank you, you, Brian. Thank you, listeners. Appreciate the opportunity and listening to me ramble. All right. That's going to do it for another episode of Inside the SCCA. If you like what you're hearing or watching, subscribe to the Racing Wire Podcast Network or the Racing Network on YouTube so you won't miss any episodes. It would also be great if you leave a comment, especially if it's a good one. If it's a bad one, put it on someone else's social media page. Find out who our next guest is. Go to Racing Wire Net on the YouTube. I mean, I'm sorry, on the Twitter. Inside the SCCA every week on Wednesday nights live on YouTube and then Fridays on the podcast network. Uh, I'm Brian Belansky. Have yourself a fantastic weekend and go play with cars. Hi, I'm Kelton Jago, and this is Inside the SCCA. Inside the SCCA is a presentation of the Racing Wire Podcast Network and Rural 15 Productions. This podcast is not affiliated with, endorsed, or sponsored by the Sports Car Club of America. The views expressed within are those of the host and our guests and not that of the SCCA.